Recording in progress. Yeah, we made it. Anybody listening, I just took my last graduate school class ever. I'm pretty sure I've said that before, though, so like, beware. <laughs> yeah, but I think I've said that when that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> my life is not academia. <laughs> right back into the school system, guys. You're a teacher. Yeah, but not <laughs> academia. I'm in like like secondary schools, like yeah. high risk secondary schools. That's my jam. Okay, like I like those schools. I like my teenagers. But yeah, don't so, hang out where I am. God no. Oh man, no. Like <laughs> I, I got to be honest. I've I've been your best friend for shoot almost 20 years which is a very long time and I didn't need to say that out loud I didn't need to hear that for myself (laughs) but yeah and like I gotta be honest I've watched the descent into ultimate academia and I'm just like whoo the dedication I don't have that kind of dedication (laughs) I can't stick to a diet for more than a couple weeks that's fair yeah keep me in grad school be hilarious so just wanted everybody to know and on that note Even though I'm done with my last graduate class, my name is Katie. I am not a scientist. But with all of the grad school education, my name is Erica, and I am a scientist. And this this is is Southern Southern Science. Science. We're getting so much better at that. Loving it. (laughs) Loving it. So much better at that. So I, for one, am super excited about this week's topic. Yeah, it should be fun. This is building off of our last two episodes. So the one about natural dying and then the one about delicious foods. And then we'll expand a little bit past that. So we are going to be talking about mushrooms. Hey! And not the ones on pizza. Or maybe the ones on pizza. Are we talking about pizza mushrooms? Yeah. I do like a good pizza mushroom situation. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk about what the science behind cooking mushrooms is. Ooh, there's science behind cooking mushrooms. There has been legitimate research into the subject, yes. Wait, are you serious? Well, I'm very interested in knowing what I've been doing wrong, because I just throw mushrooms in a pan with some olive oil, a little bit of garlic, salt and pepper, and mushrooms done. (laughs) Soy sauce if I'm feeling fancy. Do you want to start with mushrooms in food, or do you want to start by... uh, I was going to start with the... um, like what are mushrooms and then mushrooms in dying. So that actually, you know what? You just said that. I forgot mushrooms had anything to do with like death. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't, I didn't, we'll talk about dying with an E dying and then dying with just the Y dying both. <laughs> we'll talk okay, about that. I didn't know you could die. Okay. No, I want to start wherever you want to start. Cause you just dropped like three things on me. Like when I hear mushrooms, I hear drugs and I hear food. That's what I hear. Yes. So, yes. So please educate me. Okay. Scientist. Right. In the incredibly organized nature of our podcast. Love it. Here we go. <laughs> so starting off with the ever so basic, what are mushrooms? Delicious. So, you know, for a long time, I would have disagreed with you, but I've gotten more into using mushrooms in recipes. Okay. I've never really liked them, but they come in a lot of the HelloFresh recipes that I get just as part of a sauce. And then they can be really good as part of like a thick brothy sauce. Yeah. Like I will straight up just throw mushrooms in a pan and eat them. I've eaten them raw. Like, well, then I have, I have some pro tips from actual scientists on how you might best do that. Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to love this podcast. Okay, so Erica, what are mushrooms? <laughs> well, Katie, mushrooms are foremost fungi and not plants. So even though you see them growing outside, 
It's important to remember that they don't contain chlorophyll, so they can't make their own food. And so they have to break down and consume other living organisms. And while they're most commonly associated with consuming dead things, which means that they are saprophytes, sapro or sapros the being the Greek for putrid. So sapro means relating to decay. Oh, that's such um, a pretty word. For, for uh, putrid related. Yeah. Yeah. Saprophytes mean that means they love putrefaction, oh, which, uh, which is not <laughs> what I would have said at all. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. But they can also grow on living things, uh, usually making them parasites, like trees, usually. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> like, wait. Or ants, if you want to do a callback. I don't. I don't. I forgot we <laughs> talked about that. I don't want to do a callback. I blocked that entire month out of my memory. Okay, um, so, so they feed on other living things. Do they kind of take right. up the same? I don't know how to ask this question. What do mushrooms eat? What are they eating? So like, what are they consuming yes. from? So they are getting the actual, I want to say like carbohydrate molecules, because that's what plants can make by themselves. Plants can make carbohydrates from sunlight and water and the dirt, you know, the dirt, <laughs> but the fungi can't do that. So they can consume their nutrients from either plants or animals. But they also, there is a situation where they can be on living organisms and not be parasitic. They can actually be beneficial if they are in a symbiotic relationship, particularly like with tree roots or other plant roots. They're called mycorrhiza and they generally, they will take nutrients and then give some different nutrients back. Um, so it's just a symbiotic relationship with uh, some plant roots. So so they're trader mushrooms, like merchant <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah, I'm here for it. Okay, cool stuff. Yeah. Cool stuff. They're just there to they're there to deal and trade. It's good. Yeah. Okay. So like, um, I, I did know mushrooms were fungi. I guess I never stopped to consider what fungi were. So that's helpful. Okay, got that. Right in the brain. So specifically, as as you were talking about, like how what they eat and how they eat it, the mushroom that you think of when you think of you know mushroom is actually just the fruiting body of the fungus. So it's actually the spore producing reproductive organ, basically. The cap. Um, if the whole thing. Okay. Everything you see, the stem, the cap, the gills on the underside. Yeah, that yeah. The spores will release from. Right. So that whole thing is the fruiting body and it's the, the reproductive organ. The actual mushroom, like what counts as the body of the mushroom, is called mycelium. And it's kind of a little fibrous network that y if you or thinking about plants, you would think that the mushroom was the the stem and the body and the actual important part. And then what the mycelium would be roots. But mm -hmm. the mycelia are actually the, the real fungus that can persist long after something comes by and eats the mushroom. The mycelia is what is embedded in either dirt or in some kind of plant matter. And it's what secretes digestive enzymes onto the food source and performs an external digestion and then absorbs the nutrients from whatever it just supified. Okay. So the mycelium is more like the green part of a plant and then maybe the mushroom caps like the flower? Functionally, yes. Functionally. Okay, cool. The mycelium is kind of like the roots and the green part mm -hmm. because you know, like without chlorophyll, there's not really a self-food producing portion for the gotcha. fungi. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. I get that. Okay. Following you. So when you, when you think about mushrooms and like their history and comparing them to plants... I did want to throw out that there's a really interesting theory about the like history of mushrooms and of fungi in general is that at one point, the theory goes that there weren't really a lot of plants on the planet because oxygen levels were not, sorry, 
carbon dioxide. Something about the atmosphere was not correct for the ability to sustain large plants. And so you could get like very few land plants and then like little bitty trees. They're just a foot, few foot tall. No cypress they have trees. Found, no, no yeah. cypress trees yet. No big trees. But at that time, instead, what you had were 24 foot tall, three feet across giant, giant mushrooms. Oh my God. It's like that scene in Skyrim where there's the mushroom houses. I believe you, but I haven't played Skyrim. Oh my God. Okay. We're fixing that when I come to actually like live in. I know. Oh my God. I just don't have the time. Okay. So we're going to make time. (laughs) We're going to make time for Skyrim. No. Oh my God. The giant mushroom houses, like fairies. When was this? I want to go back to that time period. Well, this is 400 million years ago. Like so. Post dinosaurs, pre dinosaurs. Oh, pre, very pre. Like sweet. Okay, look, the atmosphere couldn't even support plants, much less actual, you know, organisms that would need to eat the plants. So I wouldn't live very long, but I would still like to go back in that time period and hang out with like twenty four foot tall mushrooms. Yes. Well, you can see their fossils. So the reason that this is a theory, and obviously it's a theory because it happened 400 million years ago, which is a ridiculous number to say, but there are fossils of what is called prototaxites. And it was discovered in 1859, but in 2007, it was finally concluded to be a fungus. And there was a paper in the journal Geology that really like gave a lot of evidence for why this is a giant, giant fungus. But this is is still debated. There's a lot of people who say like, no, it's just mm, lichen that rolled itself into a ball or something. It's, you know. Scientists always have to find some reason to fight with each other. It's debated. But even if they aren't the oldest large organisms, it is safe to say that the largest living organism on the planet is a mushroom. So if someone ever asks you what the largest organism is, don't be tricked into saying blue whale. The answer is a mushroom. I would know no. if there was a massive mushroom wandering around the planet. <laughs> well, the important thing to remember is that the mushroom is the fungus is not just the mushroom fruiting body. The oh, fungus it's the roots. It's the weird little is the mycelia. Yeah. Oh. So in Oregon, in the Malheur National Forest, there is a organism that is called the honey mushroom. For the parts of it that are above ground. Uh, are but they honey that, flavored? Uh, I think they're honey colored. Oh, you stay away from yellow mushrooms. You don't mess with those. White mushrooms <laughs> only. All right, keep going. It's called Armillaria ostoye. And it is a 8,650 year old mushroom that covers 3.7 million square meters. All right, two questions. Two questions. <laughs> um... First question, how do they know that? And second question, why do you know that? Why do you know that? I looked it up. <laughs> Your Google search history has got to be the most interesting thing. Like there's some guy really in some FBI crazy. like room whose only job yeah. is to track you on the internet. You're like she's not doing yeah, anything illegal, but man, this is interesting. <laughs> yeah, my, the NSA agent assigned to my search history is uh, Confused, intrigued, Confused, interested, loves going to work every day. Also, how do they know that? How do they know how big that thing is? Did someone start picking up little roots one day and was like, these look the same? No, but I think they genetically sampled it and found that genetically it's all the same. I forgot we could do that. Yep. That's how we can catch serial killers. I forgot about that. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. (laughs) 
See, if you'd asked me what the largest organism on the planet was, I would have said, I think a poplar tree, because there is similarly a national forest where there is a tree that I believe is a poplar tree, and I'll correct this in a future episode if that's not true, that reproduces clonally. And so the one organism similar to this fungus has reproduced and is essentially an entire forest that is one organism. So I would have said that because I didn't know about the fungus. All of these are like amazing setups for like (laughs) horror films. (laughs) Yeah. One day this honey mushroom just lifts itself out of the ground and goes stomping around and just eats everyone. It's definitely going to have to change its name though. No one is going to be scared of the honey mushroom. (laughs) I mean, I said, but you know what? There's always the honey badger in sports ball. And people were scared yeah. of him. So maybe honey mushroom, yeah. maybe honey mushroom like has something going for it. I don't know. I take it back. Maybe that's a good point. Yeah. But honestly, I swear everything I read about mushrooms sounds completely made up. Like all of the names <laughs> of mushrooms, they're either a ridiculous jumble of letters or they're just the most boring, like smudge rust, you know, just like these <laughs> random nothing <Honey>. words. <laughs> so it's- they're right. It's basically if you and I got together and started naming stuff. Right. You would have like science really complicated or completely dumb. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate it. (laughs) No, not you. The words. I'm not saying which of us would be contributing which half of those words. I know exactly. You'd be like, this is the such and such. It'd be like brown clock. (laughs) It's the brown clockosaurus. They should never let me name anything. I was, I voted on vote on Bodie McBoat face. Heck yeah, like, me too. I was like, I love that name. Like, oh, me too, name. for sure. Yep. The best name. Zero thought goes into me naming things. I'm like, mm, <laughs> hello, couch. You are tan couch. Good for you. Yep. Like my my little red car. Her name is little red car. You know exactly what I drive. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So mushroom names completely made up. Also, apparently, they they're are, the largest yeah. organism in the world. And potentially the oldest. And potentially the oldest. Yeah. I mean, 8,000 years is kind of hard to beat. I'm sure there's some plant in the Amazon somewhere that's like laughing and it's, but we just haven't found it yet. Yeah. So the reason I I originally brought up mushrooms to Katie and wanting to do them as part of an episode was because when we were doing our natural dying episode a couple weeks ago, I completely forgot slash ran out of time to discuss the use of mushrooms as natural dyes. I remember that, but it also freaks me out that I can wear my food. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so mushrooms Um, as natural dyes. Can they make, like, cool colors like pink? Absolutely beautiful colors. Yes, pinks, purples, browns, I was so being sarcastic. No, literally every color of the rainbow you can get with mushroom dyes. I will heartily recommend that people visit mycopigments.com. That's M-Y-C-O pigments.com. Oh, I'm doing it right now. It's an organization for people who dye with mushrooms or lichens. I think it's mushrooms and lichens. Um, It's gorgeous. Oh my God. Okay. This is so cool. You aren't kidding. No, you can get all the colors. Girl, they don't have indigo. No, you can get like a nice kind of purple that's bluish, but you don't get that like indigo ridiculous. Oh, I w- and I was but. joking. I was just being ridiculous. Okay, this is the coolest thing I ever say. And you can buy tank tops and shirts. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm buying, a, I'm buying a mushroom shirt. <laughs> this is so cool. Oh, this is, I mean, the bright color. And these are bright, Erica. Like I remember yes, when we did our get- stuff, like that, like your stuff was beautiful, but it wasn't like, boom, bright. Like I wear tie-dye everywhere. So like this is mm-hmm. their orange is orange. Yes. And so, yeah, I wanted to talk about like 
I meant to during the dying episode, but then we forgot. I forgot. There was champagne um, involved. It's not our fault. There. Okay. We are the victim. There was also the champagne. early morning wine involved. Yeah. Yes. Like I was, we were in person together. We are not accountable for our actions. So, and I didn't have lying. my visual, I was focusing on my visual aids, but anyway, so if you remember when we were talking about the process of natural dyeing, the color that you get can be vastly influenced by the mordant that you use to pre-treat the fabric. Yes, I do remember that. So some of these colors, like some of the mushrooms that you used are really highly influenced by the mordant that you use. So as an example, I wanted to talk about what they say is the best slash most popular mushroom for dyeing fabric, which is called dyer's polypore. And polypore is just the type of mushroom that it is, it, what family it belongs to. It's what I would call shelf fungus. It's also called a bracket fungus. Uh, it's a basidiomyce. Well, you know what a shelf fungus is? You see a tree oh, and then it's like little it's steps. Shelf fungus. It was just funny to hear you say it. You've seen Fern Gully. You I know what I'm seen, talking I was about. Honestly, just about to say Fern Gully. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so polypore is just a, a type of Basidiomycetes, which is that shelf fungus. So this Dyer's polypore or Phaeolus schweinitzi, <laughs> I think is <laughs> how you say so. it. Sounds right. <laughs> Dying with that can range from this really bright yellow slash gold. If you use alum as your mordant, you can get this really dark mossy green if you use iron as your mordant and then you get this really cool chocolatey brown if you use copper so you can get this really big array of colors and then there's like different mushrooms that you can use if you want to get like pinks and purples others that are a little more orangey so they have that more that red color to them it's really huge uh, i also wanted to recommend that the north american mycological association has information on a lot of other dying mushrooms very very cool okay so what i'm hearing is when i come back in january that we're going to be dying with mushrooms all i have on, on hand is like black walnut holes but we'll have to <laughs> scout some others so scout some mushrooms i'm gonna look around in new orleans although i feel like if i walk around in new orleans and ask for mushrooms yeah you're not i'm not the i'm not going to get the one <laughs> for dying <laughs> Well, I might get some that are good for dying, but not dying right. You'll get the eat. ones that are good for dying. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, not dying with any, not dying, <laughs> with e. dying without the e, which is the less fun kind. So, yeah, yeah. The other kind you can only do once. Yeah. <laughs> so make it count. That wasn't yep. me. All right. Um, yeah. Don't <laughs> don't take poisonous mushrooms, guys. Don't do that. Don't don't no, 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 no. mushrooms. Don't walk around cities asking for mushrooms. Don't do it unless you're That's in like a generally a bad idea. Okay. Yes. Oh, excellent transition. So the mushrooms you get from the grocery store. So when I told Katie that we were going to... Oyster, white. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all I got. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I was just going to keep listing them, but I forgot. Okay. Those work. Those are the ones I use. So when I told Katie that I, I meant to do part of an episode on mushrooms and so we should come back to it, Katie's like, yes, mushrooms are delicious. Let's talk about them in food. So now talking about mushrooms and food. So <laughs> Smooth transition. I love it. <laughs> Coincidentally, <laughs> let's eat mushrooms. So, so, I'm here for it. We'll work on our segues, but you know what? Nope. This is, this is how it works. Nope. It's natural. <laughs> I like it. All natural, baby. <laughs> yep. Just like so, yeah. mushrooms. The mushrooms I'm familiar with are the ones I can eat. I didn't know you could die and, with them. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. I didn't know they had all those random yeah. factoids. I was just like, mm, of course I want mushrooms in my pasta on my huge. pizza. Didn't know they were no. old. 
I didn't. I yeah. stuffed mine. Like, you know, that's that's what I know mushrooms are good for. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. So the the funny thing about the mushrooms that you eat, they're almost all exactly the same. So spoiler alert, most of the mushrooms that you eat or most cultivated mushrooms are actually all the same species. Oh, I was so, about to say, I'm looking it up. What am I looking up? You're looking up agaricus bisporus, which is A-G-A-R-I-C-U-S and then B-I-S-P-O-R-U-S. Bisporus literally meaning that it reproduces with two spores instead of the normal four. I mean, you do realize basically now I feel that my life is a lie and I've been wasting massive amounts of money, right? Well, I mean, it just, it depends. So they're all that same species. They're all Agaricus bisphorus. But so white mushrooms, button mushrooms, cremini mushrooms, portobellos, and baby bella mushrooms are all exactly the same. The only difference is some of them are immature white version. Some of them are the immature brown version. Portobellos are just the mature version. That's why they're huge. Like, they're all the same mushroom. The only ones that are different, I mean, there are different ones, but I shop at Kroger, so the only ones that are available are all the ones that are just versions of this Agaricus bisporus that they market to you differently. <laughs> and charge you differently for. Yep. So uh, ones, ones that are different are like, you mentioned oyster mushrooms. Oh, yeah. Those are different. Shiitake mushrooms Shiitake, are different. Yeah. They are, well, and they actively uh, taste different. Right. Like, yeah, there's an actively no different flavor. flavor. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> if you I chop up a portobello and you chop up button mushrooms, kind of the same. <laughs> okay, now are. I feel like an idiot. I'm officially going to stop buying portobello mushrooms. What a waste of money. Oh, my well, God. I mean, they have to, if you want a mushroom to stuff full of something, then you got to get the big ones. So, I mean, that makes sense. I make mini mushrooms. Mini mushrooms. They're the bite size. Mm. I don't stuff okay. those well, giant mushrooms. Those are crazy. I don't know, man. You're the one who likes mushrooms. <laughs> Look, man, I don't know what you mushroom people do, okay? I don't know how you do that. I don't eat that stuff. All right, fair enough. Okay, oh my God, no, I didn't know that. Man, another so one for the grocery conners. <laughs> God. So there's another fun fact of the episode. And I saw that and I was like, what? Like, I definitely didn't <laughs> tell Katie that with her paying her $2.99 versus the two sixty nine of the white mushrooms. <laughs> so, you know, say yes. my 30 cents. Yes. Yep. And so when you get those mushrooms and you plan on eating them, I will mention the two current theories on the best ways to cook them. And neither of these apply to me because I just cook them in a sauce because I'm not like huge on retaining mushroom flavor. Mm. But this is what I was going to mention to you earlier. So there is an organization called the Mushroom Technical Technological Center of La Rioja. Wait, Spain. wait, <laughs> the Mushroom Technological Center of La Rioja. Oh, my God. It came up in Google search. It's what a is real happening? place. I don't make this up. I don't know. There's a I'm very gullible. world out there that you didn't know about. In Zimbabwe. No, it's in Spain. Okay, but well, there's one in Zimbabwe, too. Apparently, it's a okay. it's. Oh, this is ridiculous. That's what I'm saying. I see the one in Spain. There's apparently also one in Zimbabwe. This is crazy. Also, there's a there's a branch off that's called oyster mushrooms. What is happening? What is <laughs> happening? I have a feeling most of this episode, I'm just gonna be googling everything you say because I can't tell if you're being serious or not. Okay, so tell me about the. No, oyster- I told you, and I'm not even like listing the weird names and stuff that you see. If you just like go on Wikipedia and look up what kind of mushrooms these are, this is like the tame stuff. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Mushrooms are inherently insane. What is happening? All right, continue. What is okay, happening? So according according to the researchers 
at the Mushroom Technological Center of La Rioja, the best way to cook mushrooms, which they published a paper on in the International Journal of Food Sciences and Nutrition in 2017, is to either grill or microwave them. And I was like, how could microwaving be the best way to cook anything? I'm sitting here waiting for you to tell me. (laughs) So what they actually tested was not a flavor retention or texture retention. What they tested was what preserves their nutritional profile. It's a science paper. That's all they cared about was stuff you could measure. They didn't, they didn't. (laughs) I wish I could communicate facial expressions. I, I need to have like my screen capture ready to like catch that. I mean, I'm just... Like, what a stupid paper. I don't care about if it retains its nutritional value. Does it taste good? What? So I have an alternate what? alternate sources on what's the best way to make them taste good and have yeah, good texture. Put cheese but, on them. <laughs> from, a, from a scientific standpoint of what retains their nutritional profile. So apparently frying them will typically cause them to increase their fat content and lose protein. If you boil them, it, you lose vitamins from it. And so if you grill or microwave them, it will retain the protein levels, retain the vitamins, and increase their antioxidant levels. So theoretically, from a nutritional standpoint, that's the best way to cook them. I mean, I'm, outside of like a risotto, I'm not going to argue that too much because grilled mushrooms yeah. are honestly the most delicious. And now I'm just going to walk around telling people that they have to grill me mushrooms because I need the nutrition. <laughs> yeah. It best, maintains best the nutritional dignity of my mushroom. <laughs> Okay, so that's one way. Apparently, a scientist wanted to know the healthiest way to cook mushrooms because this man obviously is not. Guarantee he wasn't from the South. He's from Spain. Guarantee he's never been to the South. We fry it and it's delicious. Yeah. So an alternative expert on the subject would be the International Culinary Center in New York. Those are the people that are going to be concerned with the flavor and texture more than the nutritional profile, I assume. So they wanted to address the convention that mushrooms should be kept dry at all times, and then cooked quickly in a hot pan. So apparently that is the longstanding tradition for mushrooms. The thought was that if you cooked them in water, they would soak up the water and they would steam instead of browning. Mm -hmm. And you should also, like, I keep seeing to never crowd the mushrooms. Yeah, oh yeah, you need them space. Lots of space in a pan. But. Oh. Not necessarily. Oh. Not necessarily. So the thing is, Realistically, mushrooms actually have a high water content. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're any different than vegetables having a high water content. And if you cook them long enough, that water will evaporate and they'll brown and they'll be more flavorful than if you had tried to cook them, quote, dry. You can go ahead and like if, whether or not you cook them in water or oil or anything, you don't have to worry about whether or not you washed them ahead of time and they soaked up water or anything like that. That's not really the issue. And the convention is also that if you try to saute them in butter or oil, or oil, they will brown, but then they'll get greasy. Yeah. And so what the International Culinary Center recommends is that actually you should go ahead and boil them in a saute pan with butter and salt. And when you're boiling them with the butter in there, they will soak up some of the butter. Yes. Um, and then they'll boil. And then you just keep cooking them until the water just boils off. And then they will brown on their own and get nice and crispy and delicious. So I know exactly what I'm making for dinner tomorrow. (laughs) And I'll let you know, and I'll post a picture on the website and let you know exactly how it goes. Ah, that sounds great. Right? Boiled mushrooms with butter. I saute mine with butter. I will literally chop a mushroom, throw it in a pan. And I'm like, second it starts to brown, I'm like, those are good enough for me. We'll eat. 
Mm-hmm. So convention says don't boil them, but P.S. You should probably boil them. Don't do that. Also do that. <laughs> And a similar method is endorsed by the founder of Fable Food Company, which I mentioned because he is by trade a mycologist, apparently, and he the, that company makes uh, mushroom-based meat alternatives. And so they were just another online reference of someone who's trying to capitalize on the flavor rather than the nutritional profile. <laughs> okay, I will say two things about that. First of all, um, I am not a vegan. I'm not even a vegetarian. But mushroom replacements for meat are fantastic. And second of all, I did not know mycologist was one of the things that you could be. No one told me oh, that. Yeah. I would have been a mycologist. Oh, yeah, for sure. So this uh, this particular mycologist, he founded this food company t- to make a meat alternatives. And that was also his recommendation for preserving the flavor was just go ahead and boil it with butter, basically. Boil it with salt. butter. Oh, dude, that's cool. Yeah. Now I want a mushroom burger. God, this episode's going to make me hungry. <laughs> it's 1030 like, at I night. I know. I can't hungry. eat this late. I will die of heartburn. That's what happens when you're <laughs> old. Okay. So super fascinating. All right. So I actually am going to try that. I'll post it on the site. Also, anyone else listening that also wants to challenge my cooking abilities is 100% allowed to do so. Let's see who can make the best mushrooms. Post pictures. Ooh. Mushroom, yeah. mushroom cook-off 2020 because nothing about <laughs> this year makes sense anyway. Yeah. Mushroom cook-off. Have some holiday mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yes. Have some holiday mushrooms, but not the drugs. Just the food. All right. Speaking of drugs. Oh, man. I am on transition. this transition stuff today. You, you're you on it today. <laughs> Dude, I'm killing it. Y'all know we don't practice ex- ahead of time. Like, I'm on it. Oh, my God. I need to, like, be half unconscious from class every session. Like, this needs to happen. Yeah. I think it's very obvious that we don't practice, but you have excellent segue <laughs> timing today. <laughs> I'm on it. All right. So I also wanted to talk about one of the other things that mushrooms are most famous for, which is inducing psychedelic slash psychotropic effects. Drugs. Yes. Which aren't cool. Don't do them. Yes. As a disclaimer, don't do drugs, kids. Yes. Don't do drugs. Definitely don't consume any sort of substances outside of the uh, outside of like a trained medical professional. Yes. Apparently, the moral of the story is don't do mushrooms outside of Denver. Is that a thing still? Uh, Denver was the first city in the United States to decriminalize it. It's not like legal, but it's decriminalized. I did not. Um, they only did that last year. I was about to say, I knew they were talking about it. I didn't, I didn't know it stuck. That's actually really awesome. Yeah. They're not the only city. Um, I think there was another one that was shortly after them, but I, I don't know what the total is at the moment. I just wrote down the stat that Denver was first to decriminalize, uh, magic mushrooms. Wonderful. Okay. All right. So tell me some more about these magic mushrooms, these psychedelics. So the active ingredient in, quote, magic mushrooms is psilocybin. Now, psilocybin was first isolated in 1958, actually by the same guy who discovered LSD. He isolated psilocybin 15 years after he discovered LSD. This dude's Um, awesome. He was great for the mental health community. I guess maybe I shouldn't encourage you to celebrate Bicycle Day. But his holiday celebrating the discovery of LSD is called Bicycle Day, which I really think is hilarious. His name is Dr. Albert Hoffman, by the way. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I actually do know who Hoffman is because I, my, I am in grad school for mental health. And we have a whole class on like basically like, you know, the evolution of counseling. And LSD actually plays a bigger part in that than I thought. <laughs> You know, yes. so I do know Hoffman. Like he's come up a few times in my classes. I did not know he had anything to do with shrooms, though. That's interesting. Yeah, and actually, since you bring up the mental health angle, there actually is kind of an overlap with the mental health, like antidepressants and stuff that we've talked about on the episodes before, and the way that psilocybin actually works in your brain. 
So psilocybin is actually a pro-drug, which means it's not necessarily what is most active in your brain, but it is metabolized to something that is highly active in your brain. So psilocybin is metabolized to psilocin. And technically, they're both either agonists or partial agonists for serotonin receptors. And an agonist is something that activates a receptor, but is not the natural ligand for that receptor. The serotonin receptor is what you call a transmembrane G-protein coupled receptor. And so that means it's a protein that spans across the cell membrane. So half of it's sticking out into the extracellular environment and half of it's still inside of the cell. And that it allows signals from outside of the cell to be transmitted and communicate inside the cell. So it's kind of like if you're playing telephone with two cans on a string and you've got one can on the outside of the cell and the string runs back and forth through the cell membrane a few times and then the other can's on the inside of the cell. So it lets the message get across. Okay, very cool. So what we're looking at here is serotonin receptors, specifically a subfamily of serotonin receptors called the 2A. So it's 5-HT-2A receptors. And there's lots of different families of serotonin receptors. Way too many. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying we're like, just like looking in disgust. A. I mean, like, what kind of name <laughs> is that? That's a science name. That's some guy who got tired of counting stuff and was like, you're 2A, you're 2B. You're like, that's that guy. Oh, yeah. No, this and it gets actually really bad because you get to like 5-HT, like 1-D, alpha, like it gets they keep getting more and more specific. Right. And you're like, should have ah, just no. called it Fred. Should have just called it Fred. <laughs> it's too many. And the the 5-HT stands for the long name of serotonin. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to worry about that. But the way these Oh, hey, Leo's in the background. Look. Oh, Leo. Oh, hey, kitty. That Y'all, that's the meanest cat. He's terrifying. He is not. He, he likes snuggle buddy. one person, and it is not me. It is Erica. <laughs> that cat, that cat jumped on me one time and almost killed me because he mistaken, he mistaked me for Erica, and that was apparently my fault. He went, so, not the mama. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to die. He's huge. He doesn't come off that big, but he's big. Oh. Big cat. He's only like... 17 and a half pounds. My cat is six. I know. She She's doing nothing. Cat, hers though. a normal cat. All right. So anyway, sorry. I didn't know he was behind me. Sorry. Dude, he's adorable. Um, We're good. <laughs> the way these receptors work, like I said, is they let signals transmit from the outside of the cell to the inside of the cell. So theoretically, the way they should work is serotonin will bind to the sticky out part of the protein on the outside of the cell. <laughs> sticky out. And then, <laughs> yeah, it's got, it's got a shape in it that fits serotonin shaped things. And if the serotonin-shaped thing gets in that hole, it will cause the signal to be transmitted through that receptor and into some proteins that are attached to the receptor on the inside of the cell. Because this is a G-protein-coupled receptor, it is coupled to G-proteins. I don't remember what the G stands for. You can call them like Go Proteins because they go proteins. That's a Katie name. I like it. That's 100% a Katie name. I'm here for it. Go proteins. So these receptors, they have different types of G proteins attached to them on the inside. And depending on what binds to the outside can affect which go proteins are released and sent on their mission on the inside of the cell. So the psilocin can bind to the serotonin receptor. It looks a lot like serotonin in its molecular structure. So it can bind to that receptor and the receptor is like, yeah, close enough. But then it doesn't send the exact same G proteins into the cell to do other things inside the cell. So while serotonin is like not a hallucinogenic, 
psilocin is definitely a hallucinogenic because of the different effects it has through that same receptor. And to be fair, serotonin, we've talked about serotonin as being like a feel-good neurotransmitter. It can bind to a lot of receptors. Psilocin focuses on this 2A receptor. Right. So it doesn't, it's not like it's replacement serotonin or anything. It's got a very specific target. Right. It, it knows what it wants to get. And, and just for the sake of the podcast, could you define what you mean when you say hallucinogen? Yes. So specifically, thylacin and psilocybin are visual hallucinogens. So they will cause your brain to believe it is experiencing visual phenomena, like visual stimulus that is not there in the physical world, but your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain is just recognizing input, like electrical input from your eyes. And if that electrical input is generated in the brain itself, your brain doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know that it came from within the brain versus outside of your eyeballs. So, Which from everything I've read is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it doesn't sound great. I mean, maybe that's just me, but it sounds scary. No, I mean, like it's a thing, you know, and of course some of the internship sites up and that, you know, I've, I've been with individuals and sat with individuals who were experiencing like auditory or visual hallucinations. And it's, it's, it's very much so real. So, you know, I, I am interested in the case of like mushrooms like, you know, Mm -hmm. inducing this. I I am kind of interested in what the draw is, if you found anything about that in your research, because, you know, as a person trained in mental health, I'm pretty familiar with why individuals seek out specific substances as like coping skills. Did not find a lot about mushrooms. And I looked. Yeah. One paper that might help because it is a publicly available paper specifically on this subject is called The Role of Serotonin 5-HT2A Receptors in Memory and Cognition. It's by Zhang and Stackman. It's in Frontiers in Pharmacology from 2015. And it relays the role of that particular receptor in not just generically memory and cognition, but when you think of memory, what kind? It's object memory and it's fear memory. When you think of cognition, it talks about like one, it's it helps with fear extinction. And then what parts of the brain has larger concentrations of these receptors and like they're the parts of the brain that are associated with cognition and memory. And so that paper did address drug dependence or drug seeking behavior, but I didn't really write much down about what would be addictive about it. Oh my God. No, that, I mean, that that's fascinating though. Even like what you just said, I'm going to actually look more into that. Maybe we can both find some stuff and post it on the site. Cause that's super interesting. Like, you know, what is it about shrooms in particular that like, you know what I mean? Cause you know, you do hear about people that get actively hooked on the experience. I mean, I'm sure we both knew people in college who kind of had this thing for like hallucinogenics or like psychedelics. Yeah. So that, that's very interesting. Okay. So I mean, my, well, I probably knew those people and wasn't aware that I knew those people because I was in band. I was in band. You weren't in my college band. but No, I was not you know in your college I mean. band, but no, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. That's interesting. Yeah. So mushrooms, so yeah, mushrooms so have this um, compound that like attached like a serotonin receptor. Yeah. And it says that this particular serotonin receptor modulates drug addiction dependent behaviors such as craving and drug seeking and pharmacological blockade of this receptor will represent a therapeutic advance in suppression of cue evoked craving. So if blocking this receptor can suppress craving, then activating this receptor with psilocin may be a vicious cycle. Promotes craving. Okay. I got you. Got you. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So. And that was a quote from that paper. So that review in Frontiers. Cited. Yeah. (laughs) 
And the Frontiers journals, this Frontiers in Pharmacology, like all the Frontiers journals are pretty good. So it's a good review. Anyway. Oh, and also LSD binds to that same receptor. Of course it does. Fun times. Of course it does. Okay. I think the mushrooms are like LSD light. Yeah. That's why, you know, Hoffman was like looking for something else to do. And he's like, hey, I can make this a lot cheaper. Just boil some stuff in my backyard. You know, and I can make this work. That's one of the things about mushrooms that's always so scary to me. They all look so similar. Like they might grow in like weird, like lumpy phases. But the part that like we consume, like to eat or to do drugs or any, or to make dyes, like they all look really similar. You know, it's very, you know, I'm very interested in how people are able to tell them apart or like how that works or like, you know. Yeah, I'm not definitely not a mycologist, definitely not even a botanist. I can't tell plants apart at all. Me either. That flower is blue. That is called blue flower. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's blue flower. Heck, I have mild face blindness. I can barely tell humans apart and I am one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I hear you on that. I don't necessarily have face <laughs> blindness. My thing is more just like I didn't bother to learn your name. <laughs> I know you told it to me. I'm sorry, man. I'm glad that Danny's the same way because we will legitimately be watching TV and there's like no judgment when one of us is like, is that the same girl from the last scene? Because she's wearing different clothes and right. I don't know. Okay, wait. And I would also <laughs> like to point out, like a lot of times actresses and actors do change their clothes and their <laughs> hairstyle. I'm like, you got to pick one or the other. You can't do them both at the same time or I will not know who you are. You're gonna I have, have to fix no it. idea if this is the same person or I not. I need to be stepped into things very slowly, okay? <laughs> very slowly. <laughs> if you were wearing red, I need you to stay in red if you're going to change the hair color, okay? Yes, Work with me definitely. Okay. This so. is very important. <laughs> anyway, so when you take mushrooms, I saw online that it can take effect in anywhere from, say, half an hour to an hour and a half, and the effects can last up to maybe 12 hours. Basically, the effects last for, they start once you can metabolize the psilocybin into the psilocin, and then they end when you metabolize the psilocin into psilocin glucuronide, which is then secreted in urine. So basically just while that compound is in your brain, that's as long as you get the effects. And while the hallucinations may be the effect that you're going for, for some reason, hallucinations was also listed as a side effect. But I'm like, no, I think that's the goal. Yeah, I'm like, um, I'm pretty sure that's why people do this. Like, <laughs> but a side effect was also listed as introspective experience. So I'm like... Yeah, that's also probably the goal. Like, yeah, you know, I was about to say, I, I knew <laughs> from my experience in college, most of the people I knew who actively participated in like psychedelics, like mushrooms, were very interested in self-reflection and like being introspective and learning more about themselves, which personally at that point in my life as a 19-year-old college student, it sounded terrifying. So I wanted nothing to do with that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I have to sit with myself yeah. more. No, thank you. Nope. It's like, no, thank no, you. Thank you. You know what'll work instead? Not that. <laughs> yeah. My that coping skills terrifying. have been great for 10 years. Okay. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm with you there. But yeah, so side effects are nausea, drowsiness, nervousness, paranoia, panic, psychosis. So there's a push to be able to prescribe magic mushrooms medicinally, particularly for cancer-related psychiatric distress, depression, anxiety, nicotine addiction, and substance use disorders. Many of the things that uh, there's a push for marijuana legalization for. Mm -hmm. 
But I found it odd that you would want to prescribe this for anxiety if some of the symptoms, side effects are paranoia and panic. I'm like, I panic enough. We're just with the anxiety. So like. <laughs> no, and I definitely hear that. I will say there, I, I have seen research before promoting LSD for the same reasons. The idea that an individual with very severe anxiety when put in a situation where they just are forced to slow down and be introspective, because apparently that can be one of the ways LSD affects like clients. I'm, and I'm, I'm making a jump here. I'm making an assumption, which you should never do, especially on a science podcast. But I'm assuming that since Hoffman jumped all over LSD, he was on mushrooms for the same reason, because the effects are relatively similar. I would make the assumption that the same argument could be made for drinking shrooms, right? The concept of like, you know, when you're forced into a situation where you have to be introspective and you're only sitting with yourself, you can call, you can learn how to self-regulate. There's That's not research wrong, behind that. Hoffman definitely put a bunch of people in his office and fed them massive amounts of LSD. But, <laughs> but you know. It's not science unless you write it down. Science in 1950s and 60s, okay? Science. Yeah. Figuring it out. Yeah. The last thing I need when I'm having an anxiety attack is to be left alone with my thoughts. I need my brain to like stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, apparently, you know, like if when you're left alone with your thoughts for long enough, random pictures start coming to life and like grass starts moving and you're like, oh, what is happening? <laughs> oh boy. So the apparently part of the problem with taking mushrooms to achieve this effect is one, sometimes the unpleasant side effects hit before the intended side effects, like the nausea hits before the actual trip does. But also mushrooms don't come in like pills with doses on them. Sometimes you just, you're ballparking how much you hope you're getting. So, I would like one serving of mushrooms, please. Right. I don't think drug you dealers sell it that way. I, I think they're just like, here's your shrimps. Give me money. Good luck. Good luck. You got it. Hope they're concentrated. You got this. Know. You got this. <laughs> I believe in you. So there's always the potential downside of could it end up killing you? So from what I've seen, I think the mushrooms that make you trip probably aren't going to murder you. Although, you know, there's investigations into like the negative side effects of serotonin syndrome and things like that. It's not going to stop your heart or anything, but there are definitely mushrooms that will kill you. And so from dying to dying, we will wrap this episode up <laughs> with death mushrooms. Don't, don't encourage me. Death <laughs> mushrooms. Um, I, I, I liked your pun. I was here for it. Dying to dying. So, we'll wrap this up. So specifically, yes, death mushrooms, specifically the death cap mushroom. Um, I know what that is. Death is in the name, so you know what you're getting. Yep. I named so, that one. <laughs> it's got a death and it's got a little hat on it. Yep. That's exactly what it is. It's a death hat. Yep. So it's the Amanita phylloides and it will kill you. So <laughs> the way... <laughs> that's it, guys. It's not great. That's all the science you get. Don't eat it. Don't touch it. Google it. Stay away from it. It will not make you no high. No bones about it. You will die. That's our PSA. Have a nice day. Man, I'm on a rhyming kick. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, I know. We're like, we're both delirious. Okay, so death cap mushroom and I'm Googling it so I can make sure I know what it looks like. Well, the problem is the younger stages of it don't look super far off from your normal button mushroom kind of mushrooms. Yeah, that um, looks pretty normal. Yeah, it's just kind of regular old mushroom. That's so unfortunate. you see in a fairy circle in your yard. Oh, and by the way, I didn't actually mention fairy circles, but, you know, fairy circles is just mm -hmm. when you have a ring of mushrooms in oh, your yard. Yeah. This may seem obvious, but I want to say it, but it's when there was a single mushroom in the middle and it poofed up all its spores when there wasn't a lot of wind. And so all the spores went out an equal distance and then fell. 
in a circle around the mushroom since it has radial symmetry. And then all of those spores grew into mycelia and then sprouted into new mushrooms. So that's why you have a circle. It surrounds where the previous mushroom was. I'm telling you, I'm absolutely loving the fun facts on this episode. I'm going to write them all down. (laughs) So the only thing I really wanted to say about death cap mushrooms is that at one, they won't murder you. But the way that they kill you is that they stop your body from making new proteins proteins are what does all of the things inside of your cells. Yeah, I was say, I'm pretty you sure that's no like what reactions. you do, right? Like you, you mess with proteins. That's pretty much all you're made of. Yeah. <laughs> it's like proteins and lipids and DNA. But yeah, if you want some, any actions performed inside of your cells, you need proteins to do those things. And death cat mushroom will bind to one of the pieces of machinery that is involved in making your proteins. So RNA polymerase, which is what you need. It's I recognize that process. word. Yes. You know the word polymerase? I do. So if you don't have that, then you can't make your proteins and your cells will die. Without new proteins, like regular proteins, they undergo a regular recycling process. So just in general, they will get broken down by organelles in your cells and then you run out of the proteins and you're dead. How does that look though? Like, like how could I, like, you don't look at people and go, oh my God, he's dying from lack of proteins. You go, oh my God, his eyeballs are bleeding. (laughs) Like, I mean, how do you, how do you notice and, and how fast is it? Do you know how fast it is? Actually. About to Google Wikipedia. Help yeah, me out. I, do, I didn't look up how fast it kills you. This website says first thing it destroys is your liver. Damn. Yeah. So Google says between one and two weeks. Mm. So it's not instantaneous. Okay. So poisoning yourself is different with toxins. There are other mushrooms that can poison you and destroy your liver and kidneys. I didn't look up how fast it kills you. But anyway, it stops your cells from making RNA. And so they don't have a template to make proteins. And then your cells will die. Just your whole body starts literally shutting down. It's very bad for you. There's a reason they call it death cap. And that's the... uh, (laughs) Double thumbs down for death cap. Double thumbs down. I didn't really write a lot down on that. I just wanted to say like, P.S. Don't go looking for delicious cooking mushrooms or Is it a podcast (laughs) with Erica if we don't get a random creepy factoid that makes us all like second guess like the way we live our life? Because I don't think there is. I don't think it's it's a podcast with Erica if that thing doesn't happen. Well, they don't all have to include something dying. I mean, we're on like episode nine. I'm pretty sure they all include something dying. They may have. I think the first... Two cat episodes maybe didn't, but I think since then something's always died. Don't mess with cats. But besides that, yes. Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I appreciated all of it. Definitely appreciated like everything before the death more, but still appreciated (laughs) the information on the death. Thank you for that. That's that's actually super interesting. And you think I'm playing with you, but I'm absolutely going to boil some mushrooms. Yeah. The International Culinary Center in New York has like a little tutorial they put out. That guy from uh, Fable Food Company, he made a video on how he wants to do it. So either technique you want to try, they have little tutorials. That's amazing. Okay. Super cool. Definitely. They're theoretically the professionals. So (laughs) I'm going to do it and post like a picture on the website. It's going to happen. And I'm going to post some pictures of the different colors you can get with mushroom as a natural dye because I think they're amazing. Which would be super cool. Yeah, they're gorgeous. So I guess it's time to wrap up with our mental health minute. Mental health minute. Do you want to go first this week? You don't need to. I always go first. You go first. Okay. So um, so my mental health minute for this week, um, and I got to be completely honest, I'm a school teacher. It's 11 o'clock at night. So literally all I can think about is I want to sleep. 
So I think that might be actually my mental health minute for this week is making sure that you're taking enough time to rest. I know that during holiday season, it's really easy to get caught up in like, you know, the events and the family and the planning and all that. And then for like students like Erica and I, it's final season, right? So we're up all night. And I think just having that moment to yourself to recognize that you're worth a full night's sleep. And you know what? And if you can't get it naturally, nothing wrong with a little bit of melatonin, nothing wrong with checking in with your doctor, seeing if he can give you a little bit of help, but making sure that you take the time for adequate rest. One of my favorite sayings as a counselor is you can't pour from an empty cup and sleep help mm. fills that cup. Yeah, definitely. And actually, that's really weird because I was actually, I didn't have as good of a reason, but I was going to have get some sleep as my <laughs> mental health <laughs> Dude, we're obviously old. Like, it's 11 o'clock at night. Why do we do this? <laughs> I actually had beforehand. So when you were still in class and I was going to make sure that I had something for my mental health minute, the only thing I could come up with was literally just like sleep's important. It's gives you enough. I mean, maybe you don't feel like you wake up with enough energy to get through the day, but there's caffeine for that. <laughs> seven cups of coffee. So yeah, I think it's interesting that we both focused on sleep this week. I think that's a cool thing. You can tell it's yeah, final season. One, <laughs> well, and that was one big thing actually about the Thanksgiving holiday because I didn't travel and I just got to stay home and I did get to catch up on some sleep and sleep in and it was amazing. <laughs> hey, get that extra rest, girl. Get that extra and, rest. Uh, as a reminder, since we um, touched on melatonin last week, yes, melatonin will put you in a mindset to sleep. Uh, it's recommended to take about two hours before you actually intend to go to sleep. Avoid light, mostly blue light, before bed because it will disrupt the melatonin production. And be aware that melatonin may give you super vivid bonkers dreams. I did not know initially when I started taking melatonin a few years ago that that was a side effect, but melatonin can give you really vivid, crazy dreams. Just be aware. I actually didn't <laughs> know that either, so that's super interesting. Yeah. Just just a, just a FYI. <laughs> if you're someone who has really vivid or upsetting dreams anyway then melatonin may not be for you. Keep that in mind. You don't want to make sleep harder. <laughs> yeah. Definite real stuff. All right, guys. So um, thanks for listening tonight. Uh, we're going to go ahead and probably head out because, I mean, I, I'm getting delirious. This is way past my bedtime. And I'm sure Time Erica is to too. Sleep. Time yes. to sleep. So uh, be sure to check us out on our Facebook page, uh, Southern Science Chicks, or Instagram. Uh, it's the same handle. Southern Science Chicks, or you can always send us an email at southernsciencechicks at gmail.com. Um, yes. And we will see y'all next week. Have a nice night. Bye. Do you ever have a friend?